And I'm an independent thinker. I'm a very ideologically conservative, but conservatism has been through this kind of destabilizing few years where what was conservative four or five years ago now is, is, is not conservative. And so you, to me, let's talk about what matters here, what we can control here. I think it'd be really interesting and a great thought exercise for ideological conservatives to lean into public education. What's happened at a national level during COVID is you've had a lot of prominent conservatives basically talk down, be demeaning towards public education instead of casting a vision for it. I'm the opposite, man. Let's embrace it. Let's make it better. Sure. Let's uh, let's work toward a future where, you know, wh whether you want to be an astronaut or whether you want to be a welder, you can get in a track that suits your life. And I, I just really do think fundamentally for 25 or 30 years, we've lied to people, our young people in America, about what success looks like. And what's so, so ironic about it is that the most realistic way to becoming rich as a small business owner is if you have a set of skills. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. All right, well, hello, everybody. How in the world are you on this absolutely gorgeous second week of February? I guess the first full week of February. I can take this kind of winter all day long. This is why we live down here in the South. We put up with all the nonsense. So we get fantastic weather. We got to deal with some of the harshness of it here. Depths of the summer, depths of the winter. But I'll take this every single day I can get it. Thank you very much. This is a Stone on Air podcast. My bad on the volume there. Um, all right, let's see what to do, what to do, what to do today. Technically, this will be available on Wednesday the 9th, but it will be posted very late, and the chances are you will not be listening to this until at the very earliest, February 10th. So happy Thursday to you, or Friday, or Saturday, or Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday, or whatever day it is. If it's your birthday, happy birthday. Uh, whatever it is going on with you, hopefully it's going well. Generally speaking, things are going pretty well for me, and I'm happy uh, about that. Been lots to talk about the last couple of weeks. This is now, uh, am I at a month now? Is this four weeks in a row of the standalone Stone On Air podcast? Once a radio show, before that, well, it was a radio show, then a podcast, then a radio show again and a podcast, and then back now to just a downloadable piece of just shy of an hour long worth of listen to thousands in the city of Chattanooga, your midweek download destination. Um, handful of things to get to. I could do three hours. I could, I could do, I could do two without even uh, trying uh, because I've already done a lot of uh, pre-production as we would call it. And, um, I'm going to put off the British guy that was in town and his thoughts on Chattanooga uh, that I, I did the week tease, week out tease last week. Uh, too much to get to today, and that can be done at any point at any given time. Uh, so maybe next week, unless there's a bunch to talk about, and then maybe I'll put it off to another week. But it's a, it's a fun chit-chat, which is not a, it's not an interview. I just take snippets. That's kind of what I do here on this show. Rather than do a lot of interviews, I often take interviews. And then by no means try to disguise them as my own, um, unless they are my own, because sometimes they are. But um, do that at another time. I'll just lay out the show for you real quick here today. The main thing we do today is kind of the same thing I did last week, where primarily most of the show is kind of one topic. About two-thirds of the show is going to be kind of one thing. And we had a really good Chattanooga Drive-In show last week. So if you listen to that show, you're going to have already heard portions of uh, the end of the show today, the final third is clips from Weston Womp, your uh, your uh, who wants to be your next uh, county mayor, and um, a lot of things changed for me in that uh, conversation. I wasn't involved in it; I was just uh, producing and and doing social media uh, updates and and those kinds of things. But it was uh, it was it was a eye-opening conversation that changed the way I felt about Weston personally and i'm going to spend some time on that in the second and final segment of the show so that's it that's how the the the, the final two-thirds is going to go 
Here on the front end, I have a handful of things I want to get to, and I want to get to them pretty quickly if I can. First of all, I did something that I never in a million years would have thought that I would ever do. I bought a pillow, <laughs> literally a pillow you put your head on to sleep at night for 150 bucks, just under 150 bucks. The other day, because of a target, a targeted ad on whatever social media it was. And I don't believe your phone like spies on you and listens to you every word you say. I've actually I know it doesn't, but it does track your algorithms and it's it's very uh, it's more than just your algorithms, it's also your friends' algorithms. It's it's very sophisticated, but your phone's not sitting there listening to you talk. Um, but it is watching your every uh, move, every footprint you have electronically. And this targeted ad was specifically for sleepers who toss and turn and are side sleepers. I'm a side sleeper, and I toss and turn. Can't sleep on my back, can't sleep on my stomach. On the side, and I switch all throughout the night. And this pillow pray, uh, 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 promises the world. Fix your life, change the world, change your world. And I haven't purchased a decent pillow or a decent uh, mattress, or, or uh, yeah, really not really even a decent mattress, not a decent bed spread kind of. I don't. All this stuff is hand me down. I still live in a hand me down world. Most of my dishes and my silverware, much of it is hand me down. Most of my pots and pans, you know, that's just how I've always operated. I'm starting to try to update some things in my life, and I thought if this pillow does what even a tiny portion of what it says it's going to do, maybe I can actually get some sleep for once in my life as I am a complete insomniac. And maybe this maybe this will help, or maybe it won't. It says it's got six, is it six months? Maybe it's a long time. Maybe it's not six months, but it's it's more than a couple of months to send it back. If this thing sucks, I am sending it back. And I am the guy who holds to my word on those kinds of things. Um, as, as far as the Rogan, Joe Rogan thing goes, and the I, I, I'm done with that, but I did want to say this. What I think is really interesting is, is that it's it's great to have in the headlines a podcaster being so relevant because that's not how it's been the last, you know, forever. It's radio and television and old technologies of media. And it's nice to see that a podcaster is getting so much, um, so much news, whether it's good or bad. And it's, it's even gotten worse for him on some things since the last time I, you know, spoke into this microphone and I don't care about any of that. Uh, it doesn't mean anything to me. But what got me thinking this specific uh, thought was in my laundry room bathroom that I'm in about you know four times a day for a collective seven minutes, maybe, maybe a day, depending on if I'm doing laundry that day or not. Like the shower isn't in there, so I'm not in there much. I have a, a, a radio on all the time. And I usually put it on 102.3. I hate to admit it, but I just do. Or 88.1, one or the other, and I just leave it on. It's just, I, don't, I just like having some background noise in there. It's, turn, it's not turned very loud. But if you just bump the radio, it'll jump to J103 really quick. Or first the Mexican station, then the Christian station. And somehow it bumped until it got to 103.7, which is uh, KISS FM, I guess, right? I think that's right. And so it just abs- accidentally got on the top 40 station. And every single day, I hear that song. I can't even remember who sings it now. I meant to write it down. I didn't. That A, B, C, D, E, F, U song. A, B, C, D, E, F, U, and your mother, and your dog, or your cats, and your friends, and your dumbass things. Whatever it is. And I hear it every single day. And I am in this room for a literal collective less than 10 minutes over a course of a 24-hour day, and I hear it every day. I understand how radio works, especially pop 40, top 40 radio. Yes, it gets played a lot, and it's target demographic or soccer moms and you know 12-year-olds who don't aren't paying attention to anything, have no attention span. So they got to play it over and over and over again. But, I mean, my goodness, this is absurd. And then so that and I hear virtually every single day maybe not every day but it feels like it the glass animals heat wave which is a cool song by a great band i love glass animals and i'm hearing it every single day almost and what doesn't make sense to that is while i was still at alt 98.7 the alternative music station 
two years ago. I've been I was fired in March of 2000, let go because of COVID cuts. Two years ago, we were playing that that song in heavy rotation. So I don't know. Maybe it it's on some soundtrack or some movie or TV show, and all the kids love it all of a sudden. Now I don't know, but my point is, what a worthless, worthless medium. Rate corporate radio, which basically is all radio, music radio. My God, it's so worthless. It's so incredibly worthless. So it's great to have um, a podcaster making news, whether it's good news or bad news, to be this this much much attention paid to this what would still be considered a new media technology. I think that's a really good thing. Um, a couple of things here. I've got the three pieces of audio for you. I'm gonna stick to uh, some Bill Maher stuff. I've just I'm, I've always been a fan, but I've just really been kind of diving uh, deeper and deeper with with uh, Bill here recently. Sorry if I'm boring you with some of his audio, but I'll do it. Probably this will be the last time for a little while. Um, I watched the show, and this is the reason I'm doing the Mar audio here shortly. The miniseries Dope Sick on Hulu, and it was it wasn't great. It was just pretty good, or maybe even close to really good, but it, not great. But it, it brought a lot of things I already knew that I forgot about about the OxyContin push and the you know the criminal acts by big pharma. Uh, Purdue Pharma in particular to uh, to basically just addict Americans to this terrible, terrible drug that, you know, again, it's it's kind of an old, old story at this point, but it brought in fictional uh, stories and characters and their battles with these addictions, mostly in Appalachia, West Virginia, Virginia, those kinds of areas, North Carolina, th- that kind of stuff. And uh, it was just really good, but it got me thinking more and more. I have always said this, but I've been saying it more since we've had all our minds just spinning around on our top of our heads for the last two years when we're trying to evaluate the medical industry and the and the pharmaceutical companies and uh, medicine in general. And there's just nothing to trust here, and there never has been. And I, this is less about COVID and vaccines and just more about it's a scummy, scummy industry. And they're not out to do any good, and they're not out to help people. They're out to make enormous, obscene profits, and uh, and it doesn't matter whose lives they just destroy to do it. And you know, our so it it was a really good, refreshing reminder of of all these years I've been bashing big pharma and medical. Uh, professionals and the industry all the way around. Finding a good doctor is so hard to do. Luckily, I have a great doctor who I have a good relationship with. If you find one, hold on to him or her. It is very difficult to do. Um, so I'll, I'll touch on that off and on as we go through uh, the show. And uh, the Super Bowl this weekend, Bengals, I can't stand looking at those stupid faces of that stupid quarterback and that stupid field goal kicker and their stupid cigars. Um, so go Rams, go Rams, go Rams. But I, uh, I was thinking about it the other day for whatever reason that my first memory as a, uh, as a child watching football or my, my most vivid memory as, as where I am in life now is the 1988 season. So the 1989 Bengals 49ers Super Bowl, which was a, uh, legendary game at least the way that it finished I don't know that I remember that watching it as a kid I like sports at a very young age but it's the first time I remember I was at a Super Bowl party and you know an adult party where the kids were were invited and the Bud Bowl I guess somebody was talking about commercials of course because we got to do this dumb spit every year talk about the dumb commercials but it made me think about the Bud Bowl and so I went back to YouTube and I watched the Bud that was Bud Bowl one and all the commercials for the entire game from Budweiser were just like simulations of the, the the beer bottles playing football against each other, Budweiser versus Bud Light. And then later on, halfway through, I didn't get through all of them, but they bring a 40-ounce in, and he's the he's the big running back, the refrigerator Perry kind of guy, and he t- tumbles over everybody and scores a touchdown. And they, you know, they update the game score throughout the the entire Super Bowl. First of all, it's a brilliant marketing strategy. Um, a a child is watching this and thinking, "Oh my God, I can't wait to see who wins the Bud Bowl." It's halftime of the Bud Bowl. What what's going to happen in the third quarter of the Bud Bowl? And um, 
I, I, I don't know. I, I just thought that was interesting, and that was the Bengals and the 49ers, and uh, that's my love of the 49ers came out of that game, and I pretty much disliked the Bengals ever since. Uh, it, it's just so, you, you know, to add a little anecdote to it, I come from a family of drinkers. My dad, yes, whether good, right, wrong, bad, or horrible, whatever, uh, would let me taste some of his beers when I was quite young, just literally a, a sip. I have had a, I've liked the taste of beer since the moment that I had the opportunity at a obscenely, absurdly borderline <laughs> illegal, uh, well, not borderline completely, uh, way to experience the taste of beer. But I love the Bud Bowl. And then they did that for a couple more years where they did the the actual game kind of simulation. And then they went away from it. And, you know, and Budweiser's just brilliant advertising all the way around for such a disgusting garbage piece of crap beer and a mostly piece of crap uh portfolio of of beverages uh, across the board but i'm not biased or bitter or anything all right let's do this um this is i got i'm just calling it mar thing one mar thing two and then worst idea and then i'll get into uh the final segments of the show talking about the county mayor seat so we'll start this this is uh bill maher just here recently more thoughts on COVID and many of these things I've already thought on myself independently. Some of them have been more influenced after listening to him. And as I've said, since February of 2020, I don't care about COVID. And it turns out two years later, it turns out maybe I, I was right, but uh, that's not the point of this. This is Bill Maher. Contrary to popular lore, COVID is not Russian roulette. Of course, any virus, anything can kill anyone at any time, but we know who COVID kills. 75% of COVID deaths are people 65 and older. 98 to 99% are unvaccinated. Doesn't it make more sense to focus on helping the vulnerable stay safe and let the rest of us go back to living normal lives? We can't go on forever in permanent hair on fire, cancel Christmas, hand jobs through a hazmat suit. <laughs> Freak the fuck out mode. Sorry for that bad edit in the middle, but his annoying as hell, loud, stupid in-studio audience just destroys his show. It'd be a fabulous, brilliant show if it weren't for those morons in the audience. Uh, let's see. One more here from Bill. And this is something I've you know also thought of for so many years and said out loud. They, it, it's, they're constantly wrong. They're constantly going back on recommendations, they, they being the scientists and the doctors and the healthcare community. They're constantly changing because it is a, it's, it's a fluid thing. I get it. I'm not overly that mad about it, but I'm just not going to take everything you say so damn literal because there's so many things that change. And how often does medical, the medical industry and the scientists in the science industry, how often do they get to, to be wrong? How often do they get to be wrong to where we don't start saying, listen, you're wrong a lot, guys. The medical industri industrial complex, he mentions here, which I've never heard of that uh, terminology exactly. It makes perfect sense. And after, and, and this makes the most sense, this commentary, after just getting done with the show Dope Sick. Wrong a lot. Wrong about HIV, wrong about lockdowns, wrong about kids, wrong about how you couldn't get it if you were vaccinated. And there's never been any research showing that outdoor transmission is likely or common, yet L.A. County says we're still supposed to mask up for big outdoor events, like we'll be at the Super Bowl. Watching athletes mix it up on the court and then mask on the sideline, not being able to touch a menu, but watching them touch my food. I'm just asking, how much wrong do you get to be while still holding the default setting for people who represent the science? Eat eggs, then don't, then do. Take aspirin, then don't, then do. The food pyramid, really? Just like almost 100 prescription drugs, which were once called safe and effective and then yanked off the market because they were not. The medical industrial complex has not earned the right to claim monopoly status on information about this virus or medicine in general. Yes, free speech has allowed people to hear misinformation sometimes. And a lot of it was yours. More on that uh, specific thing he just said the last, you know, a third of that as the show goes along. Really quickly, we'll wrap up the first segment. This is just something that I, it might be recycled as something from TikTok, something silly, that I, I know I used at the radio station in the last year and a half. I don't know that I doubled it up as a podcast. So this one might be recycled. You might have heard it before, but... It's worth it again anyway. Very short. Today, this is the worst idea my Dodge Ram 
truck. I am driving a lifted Dodge Ram truck. My lifted Dodge Ram truck has blinding white LED headlights positioned exactly at eye level. I am currently tailgating you in the right lane, even though you're going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit and the left lane is open. There are Monster Energy and Box Racing stickers on the rear windshield of my lifted Dodge Ram truck. There are perfectly clean mud tires and massive chrome rims on my lifted Dodge Ram truck. <laughs> I make $31,000 a year and thought that that was a wise financial decision. I bring cases of Bud Light to girls at high school parties. <laughs> I love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. All right, so the note, the only notes I made to myself for this middle segment are local politics, growing up, Zach Womp, school, stigmas, GED, prior thoughts on Weston. And I'll try to make that make sense in an entire segment coming up next. More of Stone on Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. When Roach hired Arthur Sackler to market Valium, it needed to find a way to separate it from Librium, so Arthur devised a specific medical condition called psychic tension, where Librium was taken for anxiety. You would need a much stronger medication for psychic tension, and thus Valium became the number one tranquilizer on the market by creating the condition known as psychic tension. Today we're going to talk about a medical condition known as breakthrough pain. It's neither common nor rare. Breakthrough pain is a specific type of pain that breaks through the 12-hour cycle. Yeah, I've had several complaints, or should I say questions, about the drug not lasting 12 hours. All right, what you need to do is tell your doctors that their patients are experiencing breakthrough pain. But we have a, an effective solution that will allow their patients to get a full night's sleep on OxyContin. All they have to do is double the dose. That's from the show Dope Sick, where they're basically making up conditions to justify their poisonous drugs. And they, the pharmaceutical companies, have been doing it our entire lives. Pretty much, primarily, it would appear. Just just so so disgustingly stupid and just broken system this is that uh, song heat wave from uh, glass animals that i was talking about earlier that's over two and a half years old that some reason it's still played every four hours on a pop radio station great song great song yeah, so the quick story, um, or that pops into my head quickly here, uh, that I didn't necessarily know, or specifically didn't know, but it could have guessed, is that the FDA, you know, another crooked government, you know, agency, they they made up some kind of new guideline or, or, or uh, safety, whatever the hell it's called, that allowed for OxyContin to be so easily, because it's a uh, narcotic whatever the number is you would never give this to somebody for a headache or you know some kind of minor pain and because they had put this label out it was able to uh, allow it to be legal to sell and then the guy who passed that from the fda then went on very shortly after that to be hired by purdue pharma and anybody who got in their way or anybody who said out loud, I'm not sure about this, they would go get them, silence them, and then hire them. And then pay them obscene, obscene amounts of money. It is, uh, you know, it, none of this is new news. But, oh, God, it just it just pisses me off. It just makes me mad as hell. Mad as hell as I'm, in my, you know, ages these days, I'm staunchly against drug use, uh, recreational stuff here and there, to, you know, a little partying around. I got no problem with any of that, but you know, your doctor's the biggest drug dealer, you know, and it's it's just it's just it's infuriating. It's absolutely infuriating. It was a show that I probably shouldn't have watched because the whole time it just pissed me off. Um, so let's see a couple different things here. Um, Western Womp is running for county mayor. I'm just now kind of really understanding what the county mayor does, and I still don't really understand it, but I know more than I knew you know, a week or two ago. I don't do a whole lot more than just kind of the, the boss of the county commission. The county commission is kind of the uh, 
the people who who you know, appropriate funds primarily is what they're doing. So he kind of an oversight of that. You know, again, I'm grossly simplifying something that's probably pretty complicated, but it is a uh, no term limits. So whoever wins this will keep this position probably for as long as they want it. Um, it's between Matt Hollander and Sabrina Smedley. Sabrina Turner, I think is her name now. Her, her maiden name is Smedley. I actually know a family member of hers. and um, But I've never met her. And then uh, and Weston Womp. Matt, Matt Hollander, you know, hey, buddy. Hey, baby. You know, the baby talking. Hey, buddy. Go, go, ho, go. Um, the single most expensive overpriced um, windows and doors that you will buy in this city. High quality stuff. High quality stuff. I'm not saying it's not a good good product, but you are overpaying if you are buying products from the Hollanders. I have gotten that opinion from myself and my and that opinion from people who are very wealthy and people anybody I've ever talked to. If you buy Hulco, you are buying at an absolute premium. For the record, I have Hulco week windows replacement windows in the house that I live in, but that was done probably in the late 90s, and they're very good windows. And his dad is. He's in county government too. I I can't I can't remember what his his uh, uh, position is, but Bill Hollander has been in in local county government for a very long time. More on that in the second or the third segment of the show. Um, growing up, my dad was uh, wanted to be. He's always acted like he was more important than he really is. He's always tried to you know kind of stick his nose into local politics and try to you know the JCs clubs and all all the different kinds of things. I don't even know if that's an organization anymore, but. Um, those kinds of things, and uh, we'd get involved in s- small things. I was conditioned to dislike Zach Womp a lot. Uh, he, my dad hated the man, hated, hated, hated the man. And um, he was a supporter of Marilyn Lloyd, who was a congressional, third district uh, congressional representative before Zach. And Zach got here about 94, or at least, I mean, he got the position. I, I don't know how long he's been in Chattanooga. I think he'd lifer. But 94 until he stepped down to run for governor, what was that, like? five or six, seven years ago, something like that. And then he basically retired from um, from politics. And after he got out of the game, he did what so many others did. He stopped lying. He, st- he was able to actually be himself. And he would come to the station all the time. He, I could maybe convince him. He would pretend like he remembers me. He, he doesn't. But I was around him a lot. And I was around him a lot as a congressional uh, representative and as a former congressman and one in particular i wish i bet i do have the audio somewhere but i do do not have the time to find it i sure wish i could uh had him on let's talk money with jim and jamie and he did an hour and he basically said as a member of congress i had to lie i couldn't be myself i couldn't say what i wanted to say and that's true with every single member sitting there and while i already knew that and all of us already know that when you hear them say it out loud it pisses you off and makes you think there's no hope in this system. And I really appreciated that. My dad that made my dad even more pissed off. He hated him even more after that. And I, I was like, you know, I, I I appreciate that. I understand it just enough to totally appreciate it. And then about that time, so that was ten years ago or whenever it was, five it's, again, I can't remember the timeline. About that time is when Weston is sniffing around looking for a uh, a political seat. He uh, challenged Chuck Fleischman in the primary for the third district and uh, got very close, got very close to taking that that primary. But once he lost that, that seat's done. Fleischman's got that till the day he retires. And Fleischman is a perfect puppet for that position. And uh, the GOP wants him there. They don't want anybody with any energy. They don't want anybody who's going to be you know trying to do anything other than here's your bullet points, read it and shut up. Um and so uh, I thought Wesson would probably run for city mayor, but I think he knew, smart enough to know, he doesn't have the name recognition and the money to defeat Tim Kelly or even Kim White for that matter. I, you know, I don't know. They'll never be. We'll never know the answer to that question. But I think he knew that's something I need to stay away from. Well, when I, I'm sure, and Jim Coppinger was probably, you know, whispering, wink, wink, nod, nod, saying, "I'm going to be." stepping down soon enough he's up there in age a little bit not so old he couldn't continue doing it but i'm sure he had the understanding that this position was going to come open and 
pretty much with Sabrina, who I don't think has a chance. She doesn't. She doesn't have enough name recognition, and she's fine right there over on the, in, in her uh, county commissioner seat. But between Sabrina and Matt Hollander and Weston, you're pretty much going to get the same guy or gal. You're going to get the same overall uh, ideology. Um, you're you're just going to get you're going to get stiffs with with Matt and Sabrina, and you're going to get a a, a more um, progressive thinking conservative mind with Weston. It's a sharp guy. I mean, an absolute sharp guy. I've known this for 10, 10 years or more. I've I've admired. The things that Weston have done uh, from his media angle and his podcasts, and he's just—he's a very, very good uh, communicator and broadcaster and podcaster. But for years, I—I um, I had trouble liking him because I had to meet him too many times. I will not give anybody—I mean, if you're a really important person, I'll give you a lot more rope than I'll give just the average asshole walking around. But I'll only meet you a couple of times. If I have to keep being reintroduced to you, you'll be dead to me soon. Not because I need, you know, I think I'm some kind of super important person, but I am, I mean, I'm out there. I've been around. People have heard of me in some small pockets. I, I do good work, I believe. I think you owe me at least a little bit of respect to not have to meet me six, seven times. Like Chip Baker asshole i've met him twice in the same day literally met him twice in the same day and um but forget chip i don't even go down that road but so i was getting that way with weston and his just arrogance when he was younger the way he handled his exit from one radio station to another it was very amateur like he, he he was good once the microphone was on but he didn't understand the business he didn't respect the business i don't have enough time to explain that story it's probably a little bit boring to you if you don't know the industry anyway but the way he was doing some fill in work with talk and uh, cumulus and then he jumped ship to brewer kind of like in the middle of the night you know like calling like hey you're working next week right no i'm on the air at this other st-. it was done very unprofessionally and It was due to uh, ignorance. It wasn't due to um, him big timing necessarily. He just he just didn't understand the business, and I I disrespected him for that a little bit, and just his uh, really thick arrogance. You know, young. You know, bold, brash, all things that I you know to a certain degree on a different level did myself, and so I, I I understood it. I just didn't like it. And and as of just even a few weeks ago, I always am sarcastic and snide with the way I, you know, comment on him and if you know, not even being subtle whatsoever. Well, when he stepped in to do the podcast with us the other day, all that changed. And put a pin in that and I'm going to come back to that in the final segment of the show. I'll I'll stretch out just a little bit more on that and then you'll hear from Wes and I have six cuts of audio from that show here in uh, probably about 20 minutes or so from, or 15 minutes or so from right now. So let's back up a, a little bit to kind of build up towards why I was so impressed with what uh, Weston said. Um, there are stigmas in rural, in middle-class America, middle-to-upper-class middle America. There's stigmas in all classes. I'm just coming from the, you know, the experience I have as a middle-class um, white guy. Uh, high school in the 90s, you know, the last couple of generations. If if your kid isn't on track to, you know, get a GED and get into college immediately, university, then there was a stigma that you were kind of a loser. You know, you were raising a deadbeat kid. And we, you know, this is the boom of the, of the student loan and the mass uh, financing that has taken place really to the masses started around 1980 and picked up throughout the 80s and into the 90s when the government got into subsidizing these loans for kids that have no business getting this kind of money. And that's where we are now. We all know what that story is. And that created the stigma of you, you have to go to college. You can't, you can't not go to college. Like, this is not, this is not okay. This is not acceptable. That my mom and, and her peers, her friends, and her, her other mothers with kids in, in high school they were, uh, they were mortified. They were embarrassed beyond belief if their kid wasn't doing well and going to get through high school and immediately go to college and pay for it however you will. I, I have friends, that, millionaire friends, and I had friends of our ages, our, our, our income base, and, and some less. But they all, they all operate the same 
optically, you know, to the naked eye walking around at the PTA meeting or the, the dance when we we're younger or at the football game. Everybody looks kind of the same. Everybody's got their own little, you know, financial situation, but it was all shared that, you know, you had a deadbeat kid if they weren't going to, you know, school on a university path. And the fact of the matter is most kids were not going on a university path through high school because we didn't we were just kids being like dumb asshole kids and having fun and then that puts you into college if you do go which most people that i knew did get pushed into going and then you're taking remedials well you could you're paying to go to high school is what you're doing you could have already done all this but it's never laid out it's never spelled out it's never ever talked about like hey you don't have to go on a university path you can go on a vocational kind of path and you don't have to word it that way. You can get a better name because I remember thinking vocational school. You know, my friends are working on, you know, woodworking projects, a few of them, my scummy friends, if you will, quote unquote. And they were looked at as, as like trash when they were actually learning skills and they were actually learning something that they can use, utilize for monetary gain in many cases or just a skill to have that just makes you a more well-rounded person. And the general stigma was that is a dumpy way to go about life but we don't really we don't say it out loud so you know the the little mini elephant in the room and that kind of stuff is how you reform education tim boyd on the county commission thinks because he puts 50 million dollars into a school building he's doing things for kids you know he's doing he's he's helping education you know it's nice to have a, a nicer building no doubt but that's not improving education that's just improving the environment in which the education takes place it's a hell of a lot more complicated than that. And that's what Weston was, is saying in the audio you'll hear here shortly. And I loved it. And I, I mean, I, Jen, uh, who's on the show, Jen Lambert, even said, she's like, you look, you were like, you were beaming. Like you're, you looked like happy while you were watching this. And then as soon as it got over, I, she was like, yeah, I could just tell your demeanor. Because normally I'm just like, oh, God, come on, let's go. What's taking so long? Come on, we got to schedule to keep here and uh it was really eye-opening and every ill that i had towards weston womp disappeared boom snap gone disappeared i am weston womp all day i am going to push for this i'm going to be social media in it we need to get this guy as hamilton county uh mayor because he will stay there for a long time he's very uh, he's he's 35 years old i'm pretty sure right in there so he is a perfect age at a perfect maturity level to to do some real things for helping people in education in this, in this in this county, and I absolutely believe him. I absolutely, positively believe him because this is a this is a a, a a political position that you can actually get things done. And I believe every word that he says. One more quick thing here, and um, I I often made a lot of decisions as a as a kid that I didn't end up regretting. I made them for different reasons at the time, but there's still slices of it that I still believe in now that I believed in then. It's not because I was smart. It was just because I went against the grain. I mean, if someone says you got to do it this way, sorry, bro, I'm not doing it that way. I'm going to do it another way. There's other ways to do this. And um, I realized that, you know, that this, this diploma that I would get, this high school diploma, wasn't going to be worth anything. And I, was, I had no interest in going to college immediately. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Zero interest. And I wasn't a good student. I only did well in social studies. Everything else I struggled, but partially because I didn't apply myself. Um, I ha- I've had a fun life. I've lived a really good life, but I have wasted so much potential. I-, I have the genetic makeup and the brain power to do anything I've wanted. Now, I've-, I've thwarted it and poisoned it and ruined it over 22, 24 years. But at that time, I had a brain that could do anything all I had to do was just want to do it. And all I wanted to do at that time was play guitar and hang out with you know girls and, and uh, you know have, have a few beers and some cigarettes and smoke some weed and, and, and have fun. And that's fine. At that age, you can get away with that. And that's what I did. And I looked up and I saw, you know, I'm going to have to go to college. Uh, or I'm sorry, sorry, let me back up. I got in my, my senior year and I realized I, I don't have enough credits to graduate. And I'll be damned. If I'm going to go to a fifth year or even a half of, of a fifth year in high school, that because that, that was a stigma that I wasn't going to go down that road. It was cooler for me to drop out than to go to a fifth year. That would make me look like a loser. And I also knew 
it didn't matter. It didn't, it didn't matter. This degree wasn't worth anything. So I went to four years of, of high school. Now I skipped out on the last few weeks, last month, but I went to four years of high school, but I didn't graduate. And I'm not embarrassed about that at all. And I never have been. And at the time, my mom, speaking of mortified and embarrassed, was mortified and embarrassed. But I was turning 18. It didn't matter. I was going to do it whether she liked it or not. And so, no, I don't have a, di- a diploma from a, a high school. I have a GD. And I went to two years of community college at Chattanooga State. I almost have an associate's. Not quite. But I don't need an associate's. It's not going to do me any good. And I took a bunch of those remedials, and I got the same thing I would have. And, and everybody told me, you're going to regret this the rest of your life. You're going to regret this the rest of your life. And there's not been a second in my life that I have done anything other than say and get complete validation that that decision was the best decision I could have made. And if I was more worried about stigmas and more doing what everybody else would do, I, I, don't, I would have gone to another year of, of school, I guess, or I, I don't know. What it could have should. But that decision was not the wrong decision to make. And I'm not trying to encourage people to drop out of high school. I'm just saying understanding what your options are earlier than, you know, when you're 17 and a half and you realize, oh, shit, I can't graduate. Oh, I guess I got to go to another year of school. No, you actually don't. I mean, you want, if you want to, go ahead. You have options. And sometimes we just ignore those options and lie to people, to young people, to try to get, you know, to live vicariously through them. You know, and 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 just want to be. I get it, they want to be proud. Your parents want you to do well. But anyway, all that to say, Weston Womp was on with us last week, and uh, I have six cuts from that interview, and we will hear what Weston has to say coming up next. Yes, yes, there's uh, been a definite improvement in the sales figures. Doubling the dose not only solved the breakthrough pain issue, it increased our bottom line. Since manufacturing a 20 milligram or 40 milligram is almost the same cost as a 10 milligram. This is bringing in revenue at a a much faster rate than projected. There's a scenario I've been concerned about. And what is that, my dear cousin? Well, what happens if Someone has breakthrough pain, and they're already at 40 milligrams. The sales reports from last quarter were terrific. So much so that I am pleased to announce that we will be launching a brand new product. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to double the dose again as I present to you the 80 milligram pill. Yeah, F you. Big Pharma and your sales teams and your arrogance. This really is a catchy as hell song. I mean, I get why it's popular. I see why it's played all the time, but. Of course, it's heavily edited for the radio. It's ABCD Forget You. They won't even say F you on the radio. What a lame-ass industry. I love it dearly. It was my first love of a, as an adult, and I still romanticize it, and I still miss it. Man, I do. I miss it. There's live radio, hit and go, hitting on on the microphone, and, and, and going is a thrill of a lifetime uh, that I do miss, but what a stupid industry. What a stupid, stupid, stupid industry. All right, so I guess I'll just uh, jump right into it. So, yeah, there's one more clip from uh, uh, Dope Sick, 80 milligrams. Of course, talking to the doctors early on in the show, they're like, no, I would never give 10 milligrams of this stuff to somebody for, you know, this minor pain. And here we are, you know, fast forward. Now they got it up to 80 milligrams. People start doing heroin because the damn uh, Oxycontin's too expensive and too hard to get. So we'll, we'll just be smackheads instead. Yeah. That's how's that how's that science for you? How's that in big pharma and medical professionals for you? Give me a break. All right, so we'll just jump right into it. I am uh, all about some Weston Womp, and uh, I, I I encourage you if you're a voter in the county to also vote for Weston Womp. 
you um, you won't go wrong with any of the three. None of them are going to do anything drastically wrong or dumb or different. It's not really it's it's not that important. But I think maybe after you hear this, you might agree with me that Weston is absolutely the guy for this job. So let's just start right off the bat from the very beginning. Um, uh, why does Weston want want to be the mayor of Hamilton County? I'm running for county mayor because I think the highest calling of county government here, local government across the country in many ways, is public education. Uh, in a lot of ways, the quality of your community is a direct reflection of the quality of your public school system. And this is a little different than when I was growing up and you first came across me. Because in my childhood, we merged two big school systems. And that, I think, fundamentally sure. changed the footprint of county government. We only have one taxing authority. The school board's got somewhat limited purview to hold accountable a school superintendent. But the county mayor under Tennessee state law is the fiscal agent, the chief executive officer. And that's usually interpreted in all 95 of our counties to, to mean that that person ought to have the broadest view of what all county government does. And public education is not just the biggest chunk of the budget. It's the thing, if we're you know, whether we're willing to admit it or not, it's the one area that affects everything else. And one of our only weaknesses is public education in some pockets, right? I mean, if you you go all all the way up to the north part of the county or the southeast corner, you've got some pockets where there's great public education. And then we run, if we're going to be honest, some of the worst public schools in the south. Now, I don't know if that's true. I would believe it. I don't know where those numbers come in. I don't know how you quantify uh, worst and best because testing and grades and the way it's manipulated uh, and just so uh, systematically broken and, you know, the the funding that your schools get are based on the income levels of the people who are near, you know, the in the district for that school. I, I'm not exactly sure how you quantify that, but I will take his word for it that we have some of the worst public schools in the South. And I, I mentioned that the county mayor seem, seemingly is just basically, you know, kind of the oversight of the county commission. Well, it's also the, the Hamilton County School Board as well, which are both bumping up to 11 districts after redistricting. So that is 22 um, different people, 22 different uh, thoughts and uh, you know minds that you got to kind of juggle. So, yeah, again, I didn't mean to overly simplify what the mayor's job is when I first talked about it at the beginning of the show. Uh, Weston goes on to talk about uh, pushing towards career training, more of a vocational approach to public schools. I love it. At the core of why I'm doing this is I I believe the county mayor could, and it would be a really impactful thing for our community if we refocus public education on career training. I mean, uh, you know, we've used a cookie cutter, one size fits all model for public education for nearly a century. And until the last, you know, until the 11th hour and kind of literally the 11th grade, students who aren't succeeding in a traditional environment might be given an alternative path. I just think it's all screwed up. I think the whole four-year is four-year college's success model is broken, always has been. I've been skeptical of it my whole life. I grew up in a family. I was the first person in the Watts family, my mom's family, to get a college degree. Certainly not the first to make a good living. I'm deeply skeptical of the four-year path. I went to UT, made good grades, learned basically nothing. He learned basically nothing. I can't imagine how big of a snotty asshole Weston Wamp was when he was at UT, uh, but learned basically nothing. Partied, and that's clearly not true. He learned plenty of things, but uh, his point is very well taken. Uh, It's just that you go to the university because you're supposed to. That's just what you do. It doesn't matter if you learn anything. Go Go get a business degree. Yeah, go get a business degree and see what you can do with that. Except you don't have any businesses you want to run. You want to you want to run a business? Get out of high school and go get a job. Eventually, you will run that business. You will learn how to run the business that you're in. Now you're not nearly as well rounded, and you know I can get the argument on either end. But you don't have to go to university just because that's what everybody else is doing, and that is losing the stigma of this, which I think a lot of that stigma has gone away, but certainly not completely. Um, community college isn't utilized enough, says Weston in this next next clip. Of course, uh, if I, I think I mentioned these are all coming from the Chattanooga Drive-In Show from a couple of weeks ago. I mean, let me just go on a kind of brief rant here. I mean, so our state runs 27 technical colleges, one of which is here on Amnicola, Tennessee College of Applied Technology. And then we run, uh, obviously, Chattanooga State and 12 other community colleges across the, the, the state. 
and our system's exceptional. It's, it's I think of it kind of as our blue collar workforce development college. It's the largest college system in Tennessee. There's 12 civilians who run this one and a half billion dollar a year institution. So think about these two different dynamics. If you spend much time in a technical school, it's fascinating to see how differently technical school works or a technical college. I'm not just talking about a vocational high school, which I love, like Sequoia. I'm talking about a technical college. So if you go to our state's technical college here, and Jim Barrett's awesome Mormon man runs it, just a kind of career public servant, low-key guy. The job placement rate, if you finish a 12 to 18-month certification, is 94%. You finish one of the certifications in auto body, welding, HVAC, what is it? 94% chance you're going to be, you're going to have a job on graduation day. 94 freaking percent. We don't talk about these things with our children and say, listen, maybe this isn't going to work, but when you get done with this, you're going to have a job. You are going to be put to work immediately. And uh, I can't speak to this other technical school he was talking about, but Chattanooga State, man, that's that's my school. I've talked about it in the past for different reasons. Uh, that's where I understand the love of of school, wherever it is you went. I uh, I always follow and see what the Oodawa Owls football team is doing. You know, I I didn't I don't hate Oodawa High School. Uh, I there's nothing I, I loved as much as you can love being in high school. Um, that campus, and same with Chattanooga State. I I love that campus. I love the people, especially the media te- technologies. It is a fantastic school, and it is free. If you want to go, you can. But we still tend to make it look like, uh, well, they're you know not really trying. They're not. They're not at uh, the university, Clemson. Uh, I mean, come on, give me a break on that. So, all right, so ninety four percent job placement out of a technical school. So what is our K through 12 public school? What is their job placement percentages? This more from Western Wall. Our public school system, based on the state's ready grad standard, which is a standard the state developed to determine whether a high school graduate is ready for college or ready for work. Our system wide number is 39.6%. So after 13 years in the Hamilton County public school system, 60% of our graduates aren't ready to go to work or to go to college. But our state-run free, it's free to go to TCAT Chattanooga, just like it's free to go to Chattanooga State now, runs at a 94% proficiency. And that, that's not just a Hamilton County problem. That's an American K-12 education problem. We just got to quit uh, putting the cookie cutter on our, on our children. I don't want it for my four children. I mean, I want them to get in the lane where they're gifted, where they're, if they don't thrive. I didn't thrive, frankly, on the fourth row in a classroom with a whiteboard at the front. Uh, so that, that is actually... I think a restructuring of our public school system that a county mayor could lead, it'll require rethinking facilities, which needs to happen anyway, because we've got dilapidated facilities, primarily in the city of Chattanooga. That's what I'm most passionate about. I mean, once upon a time, there was people who were complaining about government subsidizing public education. Like, why should I have to pay for kids to go to high school like 150 years ago or 200, whatever it was? And eventually people realize that if we don't educate our children and young people, at least until a certain age, we're going to be just walking around, stumbling and falling into each other, a bunch of dullards and numbnuts. And and eventually we adapted and realized that, you know, eight to your age, 18 and 12, 13 years of public school, um, if, if that if you can't afford your own private schooling, it's going to be provided for you. And we all agree that that's a good idea. But let's just be completely honest. Who's getting done going back to my conversation or my talking points about especially people from my demographic in the 90s who was ready to go to college or get a job when they were 18 getting out of high school? Almost nobody. Almost nobody from my vantage point. Plenty of people were the, the the gifted and the you know the nerds as we called them at that time, and the dorks and the you know the brainiacs. Yeah, sure they were, but the most of us were not. Most of us weren't even close. And this is real education reform and progressive thinking from a uh, a, a young, very, very, very uh, vibrant candidate who who I believe a hundred percent in everything he's saying. I love it. I love it. Go Weston Womp. Um, I mentioned earlier, it's on my note here, but I already said it. You know, Tim Boyd thinks that you know, building new facilities and having pretty buildings is a way to uh, increase education. That's great. That's awesome. Thank you. And I'm glad all your contracting buddies all had jobs on the, you know, brick and mortar and your telephone company friends and, you know, your you know, utilities friends who you gave jobs to. To, uh, to build these buildings. I'm sure you guys are all happy about that, but it takes more than just a shiny building. It takes some actual progressive 
thinking and um Weston's the guy to do it. I only got two more for you here, and then we'll wrap it up. This is kind of away from that and going towards the uh, the nationalization of local politics. Could have done this one for a long period of time. We don't have long in the mornings to record these shows, but that's something that he is not interested in doing, the nationalization of this Hamilton County uh, race for mayor. We've allowed a lot of our politics to become uh, nationalized, like local politics. I think that's a differentiator is I'll just reject the nationalization of our politics here. Yeah. Uh, I think both of my opponents will want to bring Trump into it. I think that's unproductive and dysfunctional. In December, one of my opponents, you can guess who it is, push-polled using all those same lines of attacks that came against me 10 years ago. And I'm an independent thinker. I'm a very ideologically conservative, but conservatism has been through this kind of destabilizing few years where what was conservative four or five years ago now is... Is, is not conservative. So I reject the nationalization of all this. I also have some pretty deeply held opinions about transparency and ethics in government. I don't sure. know why that's a, that appears to be at an early stage of this race kind of a hang-up. Maybe a flaw of mine as a candidate. I'm not as good with the with the political buzzwords. Yeah, I mean, based on the way politics work, I guess you could call it a flaw. I call it uh, something to commend and, um, and, and applaud that uh, a, a real Republican, my God, the days of George Bush... Right. Like real Republicans. I have so many real Republican friends or I had so many. At least, they, you know, I thought they were. I still have a few. But it's just God, it's just so refreshing. So refreshing. I can't wait to run out and vote for Weston for Hamilton County mayor. And the final one here. Um, I could have done more, but there's a lot of talking over each other and stuff. When we got four or five people in on a conversation, it was just kind of clutter. So I just tried to get, you know, six clear um, talking points from Weston for today's show. Uh, Cody Womp, his sister, is running for the district attorney. Um, and uh, there is, can there be conflict of interest there? There's not. They don't, they don't interact with each other in, in, in any real way. Um, also, funding for campaigning, whether Matt Hollander said at first he wasn't going to use his own money, then he changed his mind and says he is. And there are actually two Hollanders on the ballot because I didn't realize that Bill Hollander, his dad, was still in county government. All that is kind of put together in a quick 60-second uh, soundbite, and we'll wrap up the show after this. Also here, there's an interesting point. I mean, Matt comes from a county government family. I mean, Bill's been in office for 24 years, and he's running again. So there's two Hollanders on the ballot, too, yeah. side huh. by side. And the county trustee and the county mayor's job, actually the job titles, in-state law, both those jobs overlap. They're 10 feet apart. I, I, I do think there are some questions that the that that family will have to ask because the two jobs interact a whole lot they the, you know the offices are across the hall and on the fundraising everybody's got a right to self-fund i mean mm -hmm. and i say right because it's a constitutional first amendment right that you yeah. can self-fund a political campaign in america the strange thing that matt did was just aggressively declare that he wasn't going to and then <laughs> 50 days later did it you know i, I think right. matt may have hoped that he would sort of step up his dad's a trustee and he'd be coronated county mayor and it's going to be a tough slog you got to know what you're doing you got to develop a vision for the county and so he, and then he realized that there's a whole bunch of people you know big pillars in this community who are supporting our campaign and we were real grateful that we outraised both campaigns by a significant amount but all three can candidates on the Republican side, we're all going to have enough money to run good campaigns. Right. Money won't decide who's the next county mayor, and it shouldn't. Yeah, and there's, to me, there's no issue with self-financing. Uh, there's way more issues with you know massive fundraising, super PACs on the national level, and little mini super PACs on the county and local level. That's all going to happen. It's all influential. If you want to spend every dime you got, well, that's the American way, man. Buy yourself a job. I don't give a damn. I don't give a care about that at all. So Matt Hollander, you spend all your money that you want or raise it all or whatever. So there you go. Um, that's all I got for that. And, um, you know, I we're, we'll have Hollander in if he wants to come in, and we'll have uh, Sabrina uh, Turner Smedley or Smedley Turner will have her in if she wants to as well but it really uh, almost doesn't matter what they say and I'm this is kind of a single issue voting kind of thing and I, I already know that uh, I'm pretty sure Sabrina but uses that whole I'm a Christian I love God and you know uses the, the nationalized talking points and you're out you're done you're gone yeah, you see ya bye see ya get, get on get, see ya. get on out get, get lost get missing like, I'm done with that. As soon as that comes in, you're you're dead. You're done to me. And I don't know anything about Matt. Never met him. And um, I just know his stupid TV commercials for his overpriced windows and doors. And that's all I got for you today. Just shy. Barely just coming in under an hour. Thank you so much. The Stone on Air podcast is trying to be every single week. 
at Stone on Air on all social media. My name is Brian. Haven't said that since the show started, I don't think, but I think you probably already know that by now. A, B, C, D, E, F, U. Love you. Talk to you next week. Bye.